Hello. Hello, everybody. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome back to Language Nerds to Earth. Yay, we're here again. Yay. We're uh, on episode 62 today. We're going to talk about language isolates. Ooh. Yeah. Um, at the end of the episode, we're going to have a really fun feature of the week. I think you're going to like it. But first, mm. we have some language news. So uh, this language news I found to be really sort of intuitive, but also interesting that it's, I guess, like they've done a lot of research and turns out what we would intuit is true. Huh. Okay, so basically the title of the article from the New York Times is Parentese is Truly a Lingua Franca, Global Study Finds. Hmm. Parentese, what do you think that means? Um, Parentese is, I guess, the language of parents. Mm -hmm. And I would classify parents of all children, including for children in that category. (laughs) (laughs) True, yeah. And so parents talk to their babies or small children in a particular way, and that's pretty universally true across several hundred languages and they did rural versus urban versus isolated communities and globalized areas and pretty much all parents talk to their babies in a really similar way huh that's really interesting that they also studied isolated communities so it's just a natural ph- phenomenon. Totally. They had a few recordings in there that they collected. Mm. Well, let's listen to them now. Okay. So basically what they did, the way that it worked in the study is they collected lots of different audio of people talking either to adults or to babies. And then they tested people from all over the world as well if they thought they were talking to a baby or to an adult. And actually, I I played the game that they did the study based on, and I did okay, but um, basically people had like a 70% accuracy in languages they didn't understand to tell if they were talking to a baby or to an adult. Oh, that's interesting. So let's see. So are you listening to the one from... Tanzania. So that's a member of the Hadza tribe singing to his infant. And yeah, would you guess it was a baby or an adult? Um, I don't know. It's I wouldn't guess that it's an adult that it's a baby because it doesn't sound like as expressive as I would I would think of. So interestingly, one thing that now that I'm re-listening to it, um, I am thinking about what they said in the study is that um, melodies or songs for children have like very simple melodies with not a lot of jumps. And that was definitely true. And yeah, that da 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 da, you know, it was just like sort of steps. And that's a good point. Yeah, it's not a complex melody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would think of uh, parentese as being more exaggerated when it comes to like vowels and consonants and like, like being super, super clear with what you're doing vocally. Yeah, the way that you form sounds that are maybe specific to a language or maybe not. But um, yeah, actually, that's what they said in the study is that that's a theory, at least, as to why people talk to babies in this way. So it helps them learn how to speak as well as to like understand that they're like brand new in the world and like don't understand a lot. <laughs> 
So they, it's yeah. Really cute. It's to make it easier and to help them learn sounds. Nice. Um, should we listen to the one from China? Yeah. That one to me is a bit more obvious. Yes. And she's talking. I can kind of understand some of it. Let me see. Uh, I I don't understand what it's talking about. She says something about, like, I want I want to come in, open the door. Kai kai, lai. But yeah, it's a very simple rhyming scheme, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the the melody is also super simple, and it's very yes. high pitched, like, and that's pretty universal according to the study as well. I also saw in that article that it said like high pitched sounds are an analgesic for kids. Or a what? Like a pain, a soothing thing, a pain soothing oh, thing. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, should we listen to the one from Poland? It's a bit further down. Yeah. Yonka, hello. Hello, popatrz, co tam jest. Popatrz, co tam jest. Co tu mamy? Tutaj mama ma. Popatrz, jakie to jest fajne. Widzisz? Popatrz, jakie fajne. Tu, tu, tu patrzymy na mamę. Halo, Jula, Julka. Popatrz, jak to fajnie wygląda. Co to jest? No spójrz. Halo, co tam widzisz? Fajne to jest. Popatrz, co się dzieje z tym. Hmm, co to robi? Co tam się dzieje? Takie to jest ciekawe, tak? That one was really obvious for me. Yeah, definitely. It's super cute and yeah, yeah, super sing-songy. She's speaking this time instead of singing, but obviously to a baby. Mm-hmm. Her voice goes up, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's how I talk to my cat. Ooh. Ooh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how I talk to my babies as well. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, that was from the New York Times, and we will link to the article in our show notes. Do you want to say anything else about it? Also, if you want to play the game yourself and see how well you can recognize if it's a, an adult or a child being spoken to, uh, we'll link to the to the study as well that you can mm-hmm. participate. Nice. So let's talk about language isolates. Woo! Language isolates! I feel like you're so excited for this one. I mean, we've been talking about doing an episode on this for a very long time. Many, many episodes were like... (laughs) Yeah, I think at least since like episode 25, we mentioned Mm -hmm. it, something around there, 28. And then we just never got around to it. So it's finally time to talk about language isolates. And we're going to talk about three different language isolates. But before we even start, Rachel, what is a language isolate? Well, let's see if I can explain this, what I understand, and you can help me as well. Yeah. Anyway, a language isolate is essentially a language that doesn't have any related languages that exist today, and either it's a language that all of its relatives have gone extinct or like we just don't know exactly how it's related to other languages more or less um yeah that's exactly what it is good job (laughs) (laughs) in a nutshell yeah um so language isolates can be found all over the world Um, And they're classified that way either because we just don't know anything about them or, like, we know so little about them and we can't find... They call it a genetic relationship if uh, language has evolved from the same language as another one. So, like, my Mm -hmm. mom had me and my brother and we have a genetic relationship. So same with languages. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a language isolate because maybe we know its history, but we, or we're pretty sure we know its history, but the genetic relationships have gone extinct that that language has. Yeah, essentially, if we're going to keep the analogy, like you don't have any family members alive, no? Yes, very sad. That's a depressing (laughs) 
yeah. analogy, but yeah. But yes, that's that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're really interesting because this is something that we talk about all the time. When you have a language, bred into that language is a, a specific way of looking at the world, mm-hmm. um, an oral history, a set of traditions and culture. And there are so many languages in the world that have gone extinct. And the language isolates, a lot of them are endangered of going extinct. Mm. And that's a shame because you have this extremely unique way of looking at the world with no family members. So, yeah. And like you're saying, it's losing a perspective on the world with unique ideas about how things work or how to interpret things that it's hard to even really put words to in a way. Like we've talked about color in the past and how different cultures name colors or don't even have certain colors or have more colors. Um, Anyway, that's just like one example, but. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point. I'm little sidebar. I'm reading a book called Through the Language Lens, and it's all about color and how the perception of color in different languages and the evolution of the perception of color. But anyway, I recommend that book. It's by Stephen Fry. So let's get started with our language isolates. We're going to start in Asia, Pakistan, and India. It's called Brushuski. It has about 90 to 200,000 speakers across India and Pakistan uh, in different areas. So Kashmir, there are a lot of different uh, dialects, but I'm pretty sure they're mutually intelligible. So in Kashmir, the speakers of Brushuski are said to be descendants of a tribal king from northern Pakistan. So they're generally Muslim Mm -hmm. uh, from this area. And so usually when you see videos of them, they have like specific hats, which is really common uh, for people from Central Asia. They have like a certain hat that signifies their culture. Okay. And it has been claimed that the Burusho people in Pakistan were indigenous to northwestern India and then were pushed higher into the mountains by the movements of the Indo-Aryans. That's really interesting. Yeah. I found a lot of DNA analysis in this, which which I like. I think it's really cool that they can they can see where people came from, like migration, mm-hmm. ancient migration. I know, that's fascinating. Like with 23andMe, they have like I think it's called like a paternal haplogroup. It's something like there's a gene that's only passed like from the father or something. So then it's easier to track movements like over time. Mm -hmm. And so like when they test your DNA, they test for that as part of it. So then they can see like uh, they give you a little history like this haplogroup moved from here, like through here, over through India, like up through wherever. You know, like, I can't remember exactly what... Yeah, um, that's amazing that they can do that. But yeah, it's similar to that. Yeah. So, yeah, the DNA analysis of the Borusho people found genes associated with Indo-European people and Bronze Age migration into South Asia around 3000 BC. But some Borusho also claim to be descendants of the soldiers who came to the region with Alexander the Great's army in the 4th century BC. So... Basically, they've been on the land for a really long time. Yeah. So let's talk about the language. So this is where your your linguistic, like, grammar mind comes into play. <laughs> I it's really it's really interesting because yeah. So if you look at where Pakistan is, you've got India right there, obviously Kazakhstan. It's also on the border with. Um, northern, northwestern China, mm-hmm. which is which means Xinjiang and Tibet. Um, so it does have loan words from Tibetan and Turkish. And the words for rice, iron, and apricot are the same as in Tibetan, which are very basic old vocabulary, right? Apricot okay. is a very important 
fruit in Central Asia. Okay. And in, yeah, the Mediterranean Central Asia area. So, and rice is staple food and iron, which would have been important in building tools. Right. So, but it also has a similar sentence structure to Turkish. So it's kind of a very interesting mix. It has a lot of vocabulary influence from Urdu, Persian, and some other languages. Um, Mm -hmm. The modern day language, but it's oral and there's no unique script. So there are a lot of sounds that you can't produce when you're writing it because they use either Urdu or like a Latin script for it. Okay. Um, I had a question I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, you were talking about how there are influences from Urdu and um, what was the other one? Persian. Is this a community that's uh, like fairly close or are they more um, integrated with other groups or like do they interact outside of their community? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think they are usually bilingual with the um, languages that they're around. Okay. Right? So I, I, there's a, there's, that's from interaction with yeah. other languages. It's also an ergative language. Do you remember that word? It's somewhere in there. I remember, yes. It's like where you add, no. It's okay. I had to do a review too. And it's actually like... <laughs> Not as complicated as I thought. So the idea, at least, is not that complicated. So it's every sentence has a subject and a verb. Uh And so subject, verb, sometimes object. If the verb has an object, the subject is different, is marked differently from Mm -hmm. if, if the verb does not have an object. Okay. So for example, I eat cake. Mm-hmm. That's called a transitive verb. And it does have an object. Cake is the object. So I right. is marked one way. And then I failed does not have an object. So the I is marked a different way in that situation. Okay. So that's not not so bad. Is it a is it added on to the word, do you know? Or it, it'll, to... it'll be a marker of some kind. It might be a suffix. Um, I'm trying to remember. Whenever I got into the language articles, to be honest, it was like too far. I think it's it's been too long since I like read these and understood (laughs) much. Too much information. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of really really technical stuff, and I don't have a linguistics degree. It's just a hobby. So. Yeah. uh, No, I was just curious if you happen to see anything about, like, how it's marked, but I'm imagining, like, what you said, a suffix or something. Yes. Um, But they do have something for prepositions, like, I go into the store or the book is on the table Um, Mm -hmm. instead of being before the object of the preposition, the preposition is after the object but that is right. actually the same in other languages too it's also it's also that way in chinese interestingly okay is that how it works in korean i'm trying to remember there is a marker for location in korean mm-hmm. that's and true, it yeah. usually is is after yeah okay there there are so many markers in korean it's also yeah. an agglutinative language to some degree yes hi complicated. So the other interesting thing about Brususki is that it's a base 20 number system. So uh-huh. 20 is altar and then 40 is 2 times 20 and 60 is 3 times 20. Okay. All right. So of course we wouldn't do a language segment without the sound of the language. So mm-hmm. let's take a listen to Brususki. It's a spiritual poetry. It's a chorus singing.
do you think of that, Rachel? The musician. Well, it the music reminds me a lot of various things from the surrounding areas, various I should say traditions from the surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not really clear to me if it's uh, like something more Mediterranean or something more like Arabic, um, Indian. Like, but it has something. You can tell that, yeah, it's from that region somewhere. Yeah, that's a good analysis. Um, and in the video, they're all wearing their traditional dress. So the men have these white round hats, kind of like a uh, like a muffin, like a flattened muffin with a feather yeah. on them. Don't, I know that's a very technical term, but... <laughs> <laughs> And the women ha- also have round hats um, with kind of a veil coming down on the back. Or, do you call that a veil? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It looks like, yeah, like a veil on the back. Yeah. And they're in mostly red. And the men are in mostly white. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And, yeah, the language, I mean, as it's sung, it's not as easy to hear sort of what it sounds like, but... It's really interesting to hear the musical, the way that the music and the language go together. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of, um, ah, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, so the next what language isolate that we're going to talk about is Mapuche from Chile. Right. Um, so each of these language isolates have their own important story, right? Yeah. It sounds like Bruschewski has a really long, long history and a lot of traditions and obviously their own style of music that's very special. Um, Mapuche, of course, has its own very long history and it's a fascinating situation Mm -hmm. because the Mapuche people in Chile, there are about 200,000 of them in Chile and 50,000 in Argentina. They've been fighting for their right to speak their language and live on their land for the last 500 years. Yeah, unfortunately, like many native cultures. Yes, exactly. Actually, when the Spanish came uh, to the region, Mapuche was the only language that was spoken. So it was a really big population of people who spoke it. Uh, As opposed to the rest of the Americas where there were a bunch of different languages spoken. So the Mapuche have said when the Spanish came, they took our land. And then when Chileans got their independence, they also like didn't include the Mapuche people in the constitution. Right. And the thing that really killed off the language was in the 20th century through Chilean schools. So this is a form of linguistic oppression that happens all the time. It happened with yeah. Native Americans in the US and Canada. And um, and I've heard this story in other places too. The kids who spoke it would have their mouths washed out with soap for speaking it because they were considered impure or dirty and associated with the devil. Yeah, when I was reading that, it reminded me a lot of residential schools in Canada and yeah well that just happened this week that pope francis went to apologize for the church's role in residential schools which is i mean it's a good thing it's just yeah unfortunate that it happened at all too little too late yeah exactly yeah well and the result when you do that um you create a stigma obviously And so there's a lot of racism in the Chilean community against Mapuche people still. Um, So in order to protect their kids from discrimination, Mapuche parents usually don't teach their kids their language. So only 4% of young Mapuche speak their own language. 10% of the people, Mapuche people, can speak their own language, but most of them are over 50 years old. Right, which means, yeah, they're headed for a situation where it's dying off and... Yeah, it's becoming more and more endangered. Yeah. I mean, it's such a shame that 
there is that kind of stigma against certain cultures, especially when, if you think about this case or many indigenous cases that they were the original residents. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They're the actual native residents. I wanted to say litters, but like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, in fact, one of their religious sites was treated as a dumping ground for non Mapuche people until like within the last decade. But it's been cleaned up since then. And mm-hmm. uh, it's an altar that makes that marks a connection between the earth and the sky. It's called a rewe. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's always the case, right? That yeah. um, language creates a hierarchy and yep. culture, too. You've read Trevor Noah's book, right? Mm-hmm. Born a Crime. I think my favorite quote that I take with me all the time is, the thing about racism is that racism is stupid, and it's easy to fool racism with language. Right. So if you are talking to somebody, and you speak their language, and you sound like one of them, yeah. then like it confuses a tiny racist brain. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, you are human, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's so smart. <laughs> yeah, he is. So let's talk a little bit about the about the language. I actually, I really tried to learn about the language itself, but it was so confusing. <laughs> it was um, very, very complicated. So what I found out is that there are eight different dialects across Chile and Argentina. It's an agglutinative language. So there are a lot of subject, negation, tense, and mood markers. Um, Basically, there are markers and modifiers for everything. So agglutinative, by the way, is where nouns and markers for things like subject, tense, mood are combined into one word. Um, You might get a whole sentence that's one word in some agglutinative languages. Um, or sounds like one word at least, one, one really long word. That's how I felt like in Korean, but it, it's, not to, it's not that bad in Korean. There, there are different words. It just, it's just very confusing <laughs> with yeah, all the markers. Definitely. And if you come from a language that is not that way, then it's a little harder to grasp, I guess. But. Exactly. It has a lot of loan words from Quechua and Spanish. In contrast to Spanish, there is no grammatical gender, so, um, uh, which is very different from Bruschewski, because we forgot to mention, Bruschewski has uh, four genders for nouns. There's human masculine, human feminine, countable objects, and uncountable ones, so. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting, and to my brain, it makes more sense than calling an object of masculine or feminine yes I, I i liked that that was interesting i like it too and grammatical gender is fascinating because it kind of puts things into categories for you sometimes mm-hmm. but yeah mapuche no grammatical gender but they do have is pronouns marked by one two or three of them so what like i is one one pronoun we can mean like in there's a dual we and then a three person we okay yeah Yeah. i was a bit confused by that the pronouns but uh yeah welcome to my entire experience of this (laughs) (laughs) looking up mapuche i was like i do not understand a word not a word of what i'm reading so i'm pretty sure that what i've told you is correct so far um (laughs) Here's a song that I found in Mapuche. Malco tu ne complique in le wiki 
Hey, azul que fui en ancho malo, ma pudo un pingelo. Chamo a ma pucha pingue en chamo. What do you think of this language? It's it's really pretty, I think. Um, yeah, it sounds. I mean, it seems like it has a lot of. This is gonna sound like a bit reductive, but a lot of vowel sounds between between consonants. Which okay, mm. that's every language, right? But like, what I mean <sighs> is. <laughs> Like longer I mean, vowels, maybe like, like longer vowels. Yeah, like more. In a way, similar to like maybe a lot of romance languages. Yeah, like diphthongs. No, more like pure vowels. E A T. Like I don't know. It's just like sounds that are pleasant to hear. Like yes, but it definitely has like a. It sounds. I would put it on the Native American region spectrum. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you say that because um, another thing about this culture is that they have, uh, uh, with the rewe that I was talking about, rewe that I was talking about, the altar, they mm-hmm. have a dance that they do around the altar. It's called the ostrich dance. Uh-huh. And they dance like an ostrich around the altar. I don't know why... It's ostrich. Ostriches are from Africa. Maybe like a cassowary, which is from Brazil. Okay. Uh, sim like closer at least. But anyway, maybe um, a white person saw them dancing this way and, and named it the ostrich dance. But oh yeah, um, that makes sense. But anyway, uh, I was talking to Seth about it, and he was an archaeology major, and he knows about like like the Sioux dances are like Mm -hmm. um, eagle dances and it's very similar to the ostrich dance where they kind of like they're bent over yeah their arms are wings and they're kind of like jumping with bent legs like a bird would walk oh yeah yeah it's very cool uh very very fun to watch so like um and it's all men in the mapuche community are supposed to know how to do the ostrich dance it's like a rite of passage basically so that's cool. Very interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, anything else for Mapuche? No, I think it's time to talk about the one that everybody's been waiting for. Basque. Euskera. <laughs> Euskera, yeah. Euskera, Euskera. Ah, yes, it's both. Yeah, I mean, I've always heard it as Euskera. At least in Spanish, that's how it's pronounced. Euskera. In Barcelona, I always heard it as Euskera. Okay. Fascinating. Well, Basque. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had a lot of experience with the Basque people? Well, when I was doing the Camino de Santiago, we were walking through the Basque country. And I'm going on Friday. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, on Friday to Bilbao. So I'll be in ah! Pais Basco. That's so cool that you're going there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you want to introduce Basque as the resident of Spain? Sure. So Basque is one of the, I believe there are four official, officially recognized languages in Spain, and Basque is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, well, Spanish or Castilian Spanish, uh, which is sort of like the main one. Then there's Catalan, uh, Catalonian, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Gallego or Galician. And uh-huh. Basque. Of those, well, well, Catalan is quite similar to Spanish, and Gallego is, or Galician is very similar to Portuguese and Spanish. It's, for, it's sort of like a mix-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Basque is completely unrecognizable. Like, if you're a Spanish speaker... Whereas, like, the other languages I can navigate quite easily. But Basque, is, it's got lots of Ks and Xs. And, mm-hmm. like, you you really have no clues if you're trying to understand stuff. Yeah. And it sounds completely different. Yeah. It has a lot of similar sounds to Spanish. But I think that's just from proximity. Uh, Could be. Yeah, the vocabulary, grammatical structure, no. 
Um, So there are 3 million people in the Basque country. The Basque country actually also expands a little bit into France. So Mm -hmm. 800,000 fluent speakers and 200,000 people understand Basque. It's the only remnant of the languages spoken in southwestern Europe before the region was Romanized in the 2nd through 1st century BC. There are five modern dialects of Basque. They think it's connected to the Iberian language, which has now gone extinct. Um, Mm -hmm. But when they were trying to translate Iberian texts, Basque was unhelpful. So that kind of gets rid of that theory. Um, Another theory is that it's connected to Afro-Asiatic languages like Egyptian, um, Mm -hmm. which because there's similarities in basic vocabulary like lamb, brother, and lord. Mm-hmm. The third theory is that there's a relationship with North Caucasian rela- uh, languages um, because it has an ergative case, which is also... Bruszewski has an ergative case, as we talked about. Um, right. And those languages go so, so far back that it's really, really hard to tell, um, including one Native American language. So. Wow whatever whatever um, ancestor that might connect um, Prochuski with Basque also connects um, them with a Native American language. So it's so difficult. <laughs> like Yeah, it's yeah. hard to trace when there's nothing to connect that we right. understand today. Until there's a time machine, I guess, that can quickly take you through. Thousands yes. and thousands of <laughs> generations. But to me, it's really interesting that there are so many um, dialects because it's a pretty small region. Yeah. But also it's, it's very, like, mountainous and rural, so I guess... Right. I was about to say, like, we... That's what we found... That's what we learned with Romanche, too, right? In right. Switzerland. They so have true. all these different dialects of this tiny, tiny language. But it's because it's so mountainous and they were just separated from each other. Yeah. It's funny. The Basque people have their own unique gene pool, and they're said to be the last descendants of European hunter-gatherers. But DNA evidence shows that they're actually related to Neolithic migrants from the Mediterranean and Middle East who brought farming to Europe. So were they the last hunter-gatherers or the first farmers? I don't know. Pretty... Again. Like, I also find that so interesting that the gene pool is different. It's so different from, like, you would think because of proximity that there would be some commonalities. But, yeah, you can see the difference in, like, human DNA, not language DNA. Yeah, yeah. That's, I totally agree. I think that is that is really interesting. But it also speaks a little bit to me about, the Basque mentality because I I, sure. I know when I lived in Spain there was so much like there there's always just so much heat from the Basque community like we want to be our own country let us be yes. our own country definitely and like they don't mix really with others other yeah parts of the country or other yeah culture Uh, One of the most, yeah, memorable things of being in, like, a very tiny town in in the Basque country is, like, they had a sign, like, hanging in the town square, like, a big banner that said, you are not in Spain, you are not in France, you are in the Basque country. We were like, ooh, okay. okay." Got it. (laughs) Alrighty then. (laughs) Message received, Basque country. (laughs) Um, But they've also had to fight for their right to exist, like the Mapuche people, right? Like like so many people, they... So when uh, Franco, the dictator of Spain, was in power, uh, speaking Basque was illegal, as was speaking Catalan, and Mm -hmm. I imagine Galician too. Yeah. Any language that wasn't Castilian? No. Yeah, um, so good job, Basque and Catalan and Galician, for surviving through, it was like 
70 years? Was it 50 years no. that he was in power? He died in the 70s. Right. Um, so, yeah, maybe like 50 years. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, it has to go underground a bit and yeah. become a bit more secretive when you're speaking it. Mm-hmm. But people who speak these languages, they're really attached to them. And yeah. And after Franco died, there was a renaissance and sort of Mm -hmm. almost a backlash against, like, we don't want to speak Spanish, we want to speak our language. Mm. Yeah. I think you're right. The people are really attached to it. They just had an advantage over... Maybe, maybe like, a geographical advantage in the Basque country a little bit. Mm. Um, Like, I think about the Uyghurs in China and the Mapuche people in Chile, like how separated are they? Um, like the Uyghurs aren't that, aren't able to be that separated. They used to be, and they were able to maintain their culture and their language for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not anymore because there's been a lot of um, encouraged migration by um, the Chinese government. So let's talk about the language of Basque. It is written in Latin script, uh, mostly phonetic. The order of the language is kind of goofy. It's, Mm -hmm. um, so you take a sentence, the child has fallen on the street, and then the order of that would be on the street, the child fallen has. Yeah. So really, really different grammatical structure. The verb conjugations are intense. Like, there are so many possibilities because the, the conjugation of the verb changes depending on the subject, the number of subjects, the direct object, the number of direct objects. Also, every mood, tense, and sentence structure has its own conjugation. So, like, one verb, you could fill up an A4 paper with <laughs> one, <laughs> one verb. Um, conjugation way more than in Spanish yeah it's wild Um, so but usually because of this in spoken language people don't conjugate that many verbs um, they conjugate verbs like to be to go to have and then the other verbs that they use will they'll combine the conjugated ones with others so then you get a lot of compound verbs so Basque is both agglutinative and ergative Mm -hmm. We talked about both of those already. So it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. And it also has a vagisimal counting system, so a base 20 counting system like Bruschewski. Wow. So is it connected to Bruschewski? That would be so, so cool. That's so wild. Yeah. The person I got, there was a, there's a woman on... YouTube. Her her name is Julingo, and she has she did an explanation of Basque, and that's how I um, better understand. Like I'm able to explain it. Um, we'll mm-hmm. link to the video. It's really really well done. Cool. Um, but Basque has this amazing tradition where people. It's called Berzolaritza. Have you heard of this before? No. At least I don't know the name of it. No, I don't think so, though. It's an oral poetry tradition, and it's improvised songs according to different melodies and rhyming patterns. So it has to rhyme um, according to a given theme. And so a bersolari is a poet, but it's basically like a rap battle, um, except with a melody and maybe a little slower. But, like, there's this amazing video where it's a Bersolaritza competition. It's a really important part of the history. They do it at, like, parties, um, small gatherings, and, and then they have these, like, national competitions for them. And so a host gave this woman in front of a really big crowd, and it looked like it was a prompt. It was all in Basque. But mm-hmm. the woman thought about it for twenty seconds, and then she started singing. So let's okay. listen to what what that what what that sounded like.
Esan ziguten auzala, paotxaren erresuma, baina gaueko lanean, hemen gabiltza zesuma. Neguotzean jantzi gutxiz, Dijoa gure jarduna, lanerako da gauata, lanerako da eguna. Nola bait salbatzen dugu, gure presente zurruna. Biarra etorkizuna, guretzat betuna. I think that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. The melody is really gorgeous, too. Yeah. There's a lot of sounds. I don't really remember, um, because in my daily life, I don't hear Basque ever. But I don't remember exactly how it sounds um, from being there. But I could hear like a lot of the ha sort of sounds. It almost gave me like Hebrew vibes. Mm, that's such a good point. Yeah, I also got. But not all parts of it. Just maybe that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. And it's so impressive that they just um, make these songs on the spot. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway... That's our episode about language isolates. We are running way over the time that we thought we were going to use. So <laughs> let's go ahead and get to our feature of the week. And we're going to play a game. Yes. We love games. So we, are, we have picked three clips for each other of different languages. And we haven't heard each other's. So the object is that we're going to try to guess what language it is Mm -hmm. i don't know it could be pretty hard we're gonna find out okay all right do you want to go first are you ready yeah is that irish you did it (laughs) nice it's so cool. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay, so what do you have for me? Okay, I'm impressed I got it. That was one I was thinking you might probably get. Is it a Nordic language? No. Is it Turkish? No, but you are geographically close. Okay. Kind of. Is it Greek? No. Keep go go north a little bit. North a little bit. Uh, oh god, my geography. Um, Turkey north. Oh god. Um, <laughs> Is it Georgian? Is that too far north? Too far north. Okay. <laughs> you want me to tell you? Oh, God. Um, give me a small clue. Okay. It is not a language isolate. It's kind of in the center of Europe. It is the center of Europe. It's the merging of the east and west, the uh, Western Europe and Eastern Europe. <laughs> Western and U- Eastern Europe. Wait, play a little bit more of it? Okay. Is it Hungarian? Yes, it's Hungarian. <laughs> Nice. Oh my god. 
I'm impressed. I heard a word that sounded like Vizsla, which is like a, a Hungarian dog. Oh, okay. Hey. <laughs> okay, that was hard. All Good right, job. are you ready for the next one? Yeah. Λοιπόν, οι γονεί μου ήρθανε πρόσφυγοι στην Ελλάδα. Ζούσανε, ο πατέρας μου ζούσε στο Κάρς, αλλά το χωριό του δεν το θυμάμαι. Στον Κάφκασο, στα σπρόποδες του Καυκάσου ήταν το χωριό. Ο πατέρας μου ήξερε και τα ελληνικά και τα ποντιακά και τα ρώσικα και τα λίγα αρμένικα και τουρκικά. Αυτές τις γλώσσες τις ήξερε όλες και η μάνα μου... Is it? No. No, that'd be that'd be too easy. Nika, Nika. She kept saying Nika. Shush, shush, shush. Is it Middle Eastern? No. Give me a hint. It's a language that everyone in most of Europe has at least some familiarity with, but maybe don't know the sound of it. Oh my God, I have no idea. (laughs) Um, Is it Bulgarian? You're a bit closer, kind of. Not Romanian. Uh -uh. Mm, Croatian? I don't know. I'm just like throwing darts. You're I'm... sort of geographically in the right area. <sighs> All right, I give up. What is it? Greek. It's Greek. Ah, it is. That's cool. All right. I know. I I, I wasn't super familiar. Like I wouldn't have guessed it. Hmm. Well, but now I want Greek food. <laughs> <laughs> mm, Me too. Greek Always. food. Okay, your turn. Okay, you're not going to know what the name of this language is. So maybe you can guess the region that it comes from. Okay. Any ideas? It's, I think it's the African continent. Okay, you're kind of close. It's not in Africa. It's not in Africa, but it's closer to Africa than we are. <laughs> um, is it in the Middle East? No. I'm trying to like picture the globe. Like closer to Africa, like if you go away from Africa, you get to well, north, you get to Europe, you get to the Middle East. Go south. South? Mm. Do you not get to Antarctica? <laughs> South in a different direction. <laughs> Southeast. So it's an island. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't belong to Africa. No. Okay. Oh, Um Was it like colonized? Yes. Extremely colonized. Extremely colonized. Uh, as uh, is it a Portuguese colony? No. Okay. No, I, I give up. I'm it's, not anywhere close. <laughs> it's Aboriginal Australian. Oh, my God. Actually, that was one of the first things I thought. Oh, really? I, was, I got stuck with Africa. <laughs> you should have gone with your instincts on that one. Nice. <laughs> okay. Cool, cool. Good job. The last one, I think it's kind of tricky. So Okay. I would be... But maybe I'll get uh, similarly in the same, like in the right geographical area. Okay. Um, I have to apologize because there is some music. It's related to like a documentary, like it's part of a documentary, but I chose a part that doesn't have so much music. That's fine.
it has a very specific um rhythm and I'm trying to remember how I know that rhythm. Ah, uh, it's Nordic. It must be Nordic. No. Like, like Northern Europe at all? Oh, God. That's what I thought about um, Hungarian. It had a similar lilt in some. Um, is it in Europe? No. Oh. In the Middle East? No. Russia? think closer to home okay you mean like the home we came from originally (laughs) um is it a canadian language no okay what is it rachel i give up i have no idea (laughs) that's cherokee oh my god it's so close to home (laughs) yeah (laughs) i've never heard cherokee spoken wow Hmm. yeah i thought maybe you would like recognize it sounds uh, a bit like Native American to me. I thought maybe you would get in that genre, and then I could. That's great. Yeah, that. no, I I don't know what Native American languages sound like at all. Like may, now, I feel a little bit of shame, and maybe I should find out in the future. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of words from Native, different Native American languages. Yeah, languages that are anglicized, but yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, very interesting. Very cool choice. Thank you for that. Okay. The last one I have. You know this language. You've definitely heard it before, but it's okay. a particular dialect of it. It's German. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that one. Thanks. You gave me a freebie at the end. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> it's it's not um it's not just German. It's uh, Schwäbisch, which is um which is like Germans might call it a dialect. I because I can understand it. I would I would call it a an accent, like a, a strong accent. But it's Bavarian, uh, Swabian German, and so they have very specific. Gotcha. He, this guy's actually from um, Austria. Um, this... Actually, I said Swiss German. Oh, okay. Yeah. So very close. Uh, Austrian German. Cool. Yeah, yeah I, was, I couldn't hear it quite like, I don't know if the quality was different on that video or... Yeah, there was a lot of background noise on it. Okay. It sounded, it sounded crinkly. Like it sounded like not quite a strong connection or something but anyway i think there was wind in it or something but yeah yeah okay yeah well that was a fun game yeah yeah i like our feature of the week i haven't i'm still i'm still not sure about the name of it yet but i like it it was fun yeah yeah it's just like a free time for us to like do something yeah exactly cool okay so next week we are going to talk about the cultural oppression of women (gasps) Mm. Ah. Super apt timing for yeah. the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. If you want to connect with us, we're on social. Just find us. It's very easy. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.